Hallelujah and amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you. I hope that you would be patient if the Lord inter, uh, intervenes, interrupts our service. He always has that prerogative. How many glad God has the first priority on the agenda? And uh, But we are excited, so excited. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful job leading us in the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you so much. We, uh, we're so excited to have Pastor Johnny and April Hunt, you've heard about them throughout the years. He was with us. They were with us four years ago. If you are new to Oak Grove, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. Uh, um, Johnny uh, taught himself to play the guitar, I believe. Sings like an angel. Um, all the gifts that I had, I passed to him. <laughs> He's got a powerful testimony, him in April. I'm going to leave them to share it. But, April, would you come, too, with your husband? Welcome. Ozark, welcome. Come on. Johnny and April Hunt, all the way from Celebration Church, Fairhope, Alabama. Listen, Johnny, forgive me for wearing a tie. I took a shirt that didn't have any uh, buttons, and I just thought I'd wear a tie on behalf of the veterans of red, white, and blue and all of that. But I love you. Take your liberty, and don't, uh, and don't, don't hesitate to preach Look, we're honored to be here uh, with you today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let April kind of share a little bit of our story before I start preaching. And, and it's okay because I, I think we're, we're kind of a, I'm a participatory preacher, so we can say things like amen in Springfield, right? Say amen, oh me, shaky who, I've heard that before. I'm from, we pastor in Alabama, so I get to hear the unfortunate phrase, roll tide when it gets good sometimes. And I rebuke it. And, uh, and they don't listen. They keep on saying it anyway. But uh, it is a privilege and honor to be with you. And I want April to kind of share just a little bit uh, uh, this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of their faith. We were just kids engaged to get married and stumbled into this church in northeast Louisiana, and God wrecked our life in the most awesome way. And I could not even explain well just the roller coaster ride of what this journey of faith has been for us. But April's going to attempt to do it a little bit. I felt like there may be a lot of people who don't know who we are and who we are in relation to um, your pastors. And so I wanted to share a little bit of our story. When we were 18 and 19 years old, my mom had um, started attending an Assembly of God church. We were not a church family. I did not grow up in church, so this was new for her, and she invited us. And so we were just two lost kids, 18 and 19, but very much in love with each other. And so we we needed we were going to get married, and we were um, needing a pastor to marry us. And so we went to Brother Ron after we had come to the church and asked if he would marry us. And so he said, yes, I will, but I require at least three sessions of premarital counseling. So we went and sat in his office, the two of us, and he started asking us questions, getting to know us, and um, he figured out that we were not just some Baptist kids coming to check out the Holy Spirit at the Assembly of God Church, that we were lost and that we were living together in sin, and he just shared the gospel message with us. And so in that moment, we gave our lives to Christ together, um, October 28, 1998, and then on November 28, it's been 24 years we've been married. And so can I tell you that in that moment, we, we made a decision. We made a decision to say yes to Jesus. So we made a decision to live apart until we got married. We said, 
today is the day. We're going to make a decision when we leave this place to do something different, and we did. And God honored that. We, we grew in the church. We were there. And I, I just want to tell you that your pastors have the gift of calling, anointing, and giftings out of other people. And that's exactly what they did for us. We weren't anybody special. We're still not. But can I tell you, he looked at that 18 and 19-year-old kid, and he said, I see something there, and I'm going to call it out. They did things like making a special youth trip to come check out Central Bible College because he knew the anointing was on his life to preach the gospel, and he needed training. And so I'm going to tell you, these 18, 19-year-old kids couldn't have afforded to drive up here to Springfield to come check out a college, but he saw that in us and made a way for us. And so their relationship to us has been so incredibly powerful. Whenever Johnny felt called to ministry, just a few short months after we got saved, we got saved on the same day, got filled with the Holy Spirit a day apart in May the following year. And when he felt the call of God on his life, he went to him first and told him. And and then he told me after that. <laughs> and you know what? I looked at him and I said, I don't feel like I'm a pastor's wife. I don't feel like I have the gifts and talents that anybody else does, but I'll go where you go. I'm following you. Let's go. And so we came to Central Bible College, and it has been an incredible journey. We've served at some great churches as youth pastors for many years, and now for 10 years um, coming up this February at Celebration Church in Fairhope, Alabama as their lead pastors. We have a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old, almost 17 this next week. And um, all, all three of them serve in ministry. Our, our oldest two are both serving in worship ministry. Our youngest feels the call to preach. And can I tell you that any, Johnny says this, and he may say it again, but every person that we have been able to encounter, not just our own children, but the people that we've been able to minister to are a direct link to them. Because without them, without that moment in his office in 1998, the people that we have been able to touch would not have ever known or heard the gospel without them saying yes and us saying yes and then the next people saying yes. So I just want to encourage you. I know that you have incredible, wonderful pastors, but I'm telling you that Johnny and April would not be Johnny and April without them. So would you give your pastors a hand? Thank you, April. You look so beautiful telling that. You should call me later. We should talk. It's an opportunity for us. I want to talk today about the power of our yes. Look, there's a lot of no's that come in our life, but the ultimate yes that we should have first is to Jesus. But there's going to be opportunities that come along the way that we get a chance to say yes to. In the following verse of what I shared with you in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the worship team was singing that, oh God, my God, I need you now. I was thinking, this, you're the same God, the same deliverer, the same restorer, the same God who speaks to us and moves on the face of this earth, pours out your spirit and fresh and new and gives us opportunity to be what we could have never been on our own because of a simple yes. But I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12 today. If you'll find your place there, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read the first few verses there. And I want to share some things with you today. Put in your toolbox an opportunity. I feel like the Lord laid on my heart to share with you uh, this morning. April was saying we get an opportunity to pastor a church in South Alabama. Um, we did not know where Fairhope was when we had the opportunity to go travel there and be voted on. I looked it up and uh, I'm just the kind of guy, I don't really care where I live. I just want to be where Jesus wants me to be. But my wife and kids, uh, my kids had never been to the beach. 
I don't like the beach. I'm just be honest with you. All right. I'm kind of a bigger guy. I sweat in the shade. Okay. Uh, and it's hot down there, y'all. I mean, like I know hell's hot, but it's pretty close. Okay. It's, it is, it's hot. It's humid. And, and, and April would want to go to the beach. And I'm like, baby, it's hot out there. I'm moonburnt. All right. Like I burnt, like I'm going, I'm going to burn. I'm going to peel and I'm going to freckle and I'm going to look weird about it. It's not going to be good. I'm going to have to go to that doctor and they're going to tell me I need to cut this off and all It's not going to, she's like, but I just like it. I'm like, all right. So we go and sand gets everywhere. Sand gets in everything. And for four months, you can't get it out of your car. It's in your bags. It's but then God said, you're going to go close to the beach. I was there interviewing and and look, we followed a great situation, more failures, financial mismanagement. What a great opportunity, right? But somebody still had to say yes. There was still a yes that was needed. And April and the kids, they took them to the beach while I was in business. And they felt like it was the Lord for real. They thought it was Jesus, no doubt. My kids got in the Gulf, Mexico for the first time, and they were hooked. We stopped at a McDonald's in McGee, Arkansas, on the way down there and told them. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody snot bubble cry. It's what I say when it drips down and stuff's coming out and it's that ugly face cry. My oldest at the time was nine years old whenever we told him, listen to VTN, and said, hey, we're going here not just to, to preach because we were traveling preaching a good bit, but I said, well, they're looking to vote for us to become the pastors. And he started squalling immediately. Now, my daughter, she wasn't old enough. She's just emotional. You know, I mean, you know, people like that. She looked at him. He was crying. So she started crying. My youngest is like, they have ice cream there? Because they have ice cream. I'm good. Gavin's crying. And, and, you know, the things I thought they were crying really hard for, like the move and their friends, he was more like, you mean we're not going to Six Flags with the youth anymore? We're not going all these trips. Because we had a blast as youth pastors for years and years. We went on these trips, had a blast with with them and, and I said, No, bro, we going. We still gonna go to Six Flags. We'll get our own room. We won't have to stay with the students anymore. So he was stupid stoked about that. It's just a the opportunity that God has given us through the years is a direct reflection of the simple yes that your pastors had in the, in their life. But it started with a yes long before that. It started with a yes that Sister Moran had at a camp, coming back praying for her family, for uh for her boyfriend that gets saved. It starts with a simple yes. And I've had the privilege and the opportunity to preach in their family's church. I've had the privilege and opportunity to be at, at Sister Rand's brother's church and do a marriage conference for them, all because of a simple yes that started in a teenage girl. How many of you know God's done some great things through some teenage girls before? So let's read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? And you read the following and say, answer the question that I just asked. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, there are things that are going to easily entangle us in our lives. The normal that we used to have 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and I would dare say even three years ago is not the normal entanglement that we have today. The things that we see, the things that we deal with, and the situations that we face are not things that just happen so easily. They're things that we make a choice to involve ourselves in. But it entangles us and it robs us from the focus that we are supposed to have. This great cloud of witness is cheering us on 
encouraging us to throw off every weight that would hinder us and sin that so easily entangles. Now, the enemy has an agenda. He has a focus. John 10.10 tells us that the enemy comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's not playing games. He's not trying to make somebody a little depressed. He wants to end your life. And because he does, Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, that's the hope of what we have, and that is the cheering that we get of the surrounding of the witnesses is to press on and to keep going. And he said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, I'm not built for running. I'm built for power. All right? I like pressing things. I like, uh, now I play old man softball so I can run short distances and then take a break. I can stretch a double into a single any day of the week. All right, that's just the way I'm built. I did this stupid thing in my life about six, seven years ago. I had a a guy come and join us on staff for a season. He had planted a church in Colorado and came in a season and was was there with us kind of like on a sabbatical and became an interim staff pastor for us. And what a gift he was. But he had this gift of encouragement that I would call the gift of manipulation. Like he could say anything and I'd be like, that's a great idea. And he was a biker, like not a biker like on a Harley, the biker that wears spandex out on the public road, that kind of biker. And he's riding this bike, and, and he's like, and he had this rough voice. He's from South Louisiana, from the West Bank. And he talks like this. He's like, Brother John, Pastor, you can do a triathlon. And I don't know why he, he says everything. He doesn't really say the words right. He just says them. And I have the gift of interpretation with his Cajun accent and his gruff voice to know it. And and I've never in my life, there's not been one time in my life I was sitting around the house and went, man, a triathlon would be a great thing to do. Not one time have I ever, ever just was sitting, looked at April and said, baby, I'm thinking I'm going, I want to run along. I want to swim. In water, I can't touch the bottom. Because this body is built for that. Because my wife is an honest woman. She said, baby, I don't think that's a good idea. But this pastor had the gift. And he's telling me, and I was like, I, I think you're right. I, I think I need to do this triathlon. I started this training. And look, I've always been a person athletically and things like that, that you know, I could always hit a gear whenever we got to game time. But when it comes to these things, you get in, you get out what you put in. All right, there is no other gear. I jump off the dock. We're, there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and, and like 1,500 people on this dock. And we jump off. We have this this ankle monitoring bracelet that the county jail you let us use. I'm kidding. It was they they do have these monitoring but that time your stuff. And so I jump off the thing. And I'm I've been swimming. And I think I've been swimming a while in this open water. And I grab onto a kayak because I don't know where I'm at. And I've made it about 25 yards. I ain't going anywhere. And I'm sucking wind for real. And so I jump, I push off of that one, and I go to the next one. I'm swimming, and I look up, and I, I grab a, I grab a kayak, and I start to slide to the front. I'm like, no, no, don't move, because that'll disqualify you. He's like, I don't want that. And this guy comes on his paddleboard over, and he says, are you cramping, sir? I was like, no. He's like, are you tired? I was like, oh, yeah. Now, it was a 650-yard swim, which doesn't sound that long, but to this floating vessel. It was a long way. He said, man, that's not safe. 
we need to take you in. And I was sitting there thinking, you do need to take me in. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. This is crazy. But all I could think about was my church and my family that was up on the shore cheering for me. I was like, I can't quit. I can't quit. I can't stop. I can't quit on that. They're going to know their dads. I'm thinking of my kids. Like, they're never going to listen to me in athletics again. I was like, we, we ain't quitters. And they'll be like, oh, do you remember that triathlon, big boy? I saw you quit, big one. So I go from kayak to paddleboard. I've made, I have stretched this 650-yard swim into about a 1,000 <laughs> with the zigzags I'm making. But the closer I get to shore, I knew there was a chance I was going to hit. And they got this cone out, this big blow-up cone thing that's out there in the middle. And, and I get close to it, and I, gra- I can't grab onto it. I'm just going to sink, and I can't touch bottom. So I did my last effort, and I come up to spot the shore. And whenever I came up and looked this way, my feet drug the bottom of the floor. And I was like, oh, it's on now. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone dolphin jump, but it's possible. I leaped from that moment all the way in. These people on the kayaks and paddleboards like, hey, sir, it's a swim. I was like, your mama can swim. I'm running. And I was dolphin jumping all the way in. I got out of the water. I was so humiliated. I started in the beginning of the pack. Now I'm at the back of the pack where all the beginners are. And my family's like, yo, you're so awesome. I'm like, don't talk to me terrible at this. I get on the bike. I ride the bike. I get to the run. I got old people passing me up. I didn't know there was relays, so I thought they were just passing me up. Never felt more miserable in my life. I get to the end, and I think I'm going to sprint this last because we had to do a 5K on the end of it. So it's a sprint try, and so I'm on the end, and I hit this last part. It's like, I'm going to take off and run the rest of the way, and I made it about 50 yards and said, I think I'll walk a little more. And I walked, and I got to the end, the last stretch, the last quarter of a mile, and I'm talking about I was picking them up and putting them down. I was running full out. On video, when I saw me coming to the finish line, in my mind, I was, I was making it happen. But I was a slight jog in the video. And the same guy that said, oh, you should do a triathlon, but I said, I think it'd do great. Let me tell you what was so cool is he was at the finish line waiting on me, and he'd been done a while. Let me just tell you, if you're considering doing this, Internet times are forever. <laughs> All right, so train hard and train well. I passed that line. It's the only thing in life I think everybody should get a participation trophy. <laughs> when I got through, he screams, you're a triathlete, and I almost started crying because I thought about quitting more times than not the whole way through it. Why did I think about quitting? Because it's hard. It is challenging. But I love what this passage says in verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Did Jesus know you were going to have hard moments? Did he know you were going to face challenging times? Did he know there were going to be some oppositions in your life? Absolutely. But fixing your eyes on him. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I ask you this question. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, did you save yourself or did he save you? So you can't quit on what you didn't start. He that began a good work in you is faithful to do what? Complete it. That's what he does. God doesn't do anything halfway. 
but your race, this opportunity, it started with a simple act of obedience with a yes. It's the power of a yes in a teenage girl, the power of a yes in a woman who on Thanksgiving weekend said, I know we normally don't come back, but we're going to say yes to this. I didn't even know how big of a deal that was for them. We actually came to church that first Sunday after the wedding. Came in because we didn't know what else to do. We'd just gotten saved. We're like, we, we need to go to church. So we went. We tried to give Pastor Ron some money for the wedding. And, and he says, oh, no, no, baby. That's what I do. I'm your pastor. Now, he didn't know we was broke as the Ten Commandments. So I was very thankful he did that. And to this day, when we marry a couple in our church, and they try to pay, say, hey, no, 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 we were blessed when we were young, and we want to be a blessing to you. Take that money, give it to mission, do something different with it, take it, put it in a date night reserve or something. Because of their simple yes, my life has changed. Their race encouraged my race. But the pace we run with comes with what we focus on. Like I don't focus, I don't when, when I'm going through tough times, I don't focus on, oh, there was a time when someone said yes. I focus on the one that they tied me to. They didn't tie me to themselves. They released me. Do you know that you can't you don't know the power of something that's in your hands until you lay it down? And they didn't say, Oh, you're gonna be close to us and we're never gonna let you go. They sent us out as fast as we came in. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the pace. See, and it teaches me that I'm not looking and you're not looking to be better than someone else. I just want to be like Jesus. So that's why we run with confidence. It's why, And we do it because we serve the same God. When they were singing that this morning, I thought, that's so cool that this is part of what I'm preaching. And they're singing about it. And I hadn't even talked to Sister Carissa. That's not the name I know her by, but they called her that last night, so she'll forever be Carissa from now from now on, because I think it's funny. But she's singing that, and I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. I'm gonna preach on that. See, in order to understand, in order to understand the potential of our yes and why we run, we have to be reminded by the power of the God we serve. Right? The same God. The same God that created something from nothing, that spoke in the middle of nothing and made something and made it stay. The one who simply spoke, let there be light, that created all things, and by him all things were created. The one who is alive and available to us today. See, the same God that warned Noah in the middle of intolerable evil, that like if you think it's evil now, just wait. Because as of the days of Noah, but when this happens, we don't freak out and lose our minds. Why? Because we know that as it gets darker, the light's going to shine its brightest. And if God could use one family to serve the world, if just one will say yes and one will stay faithful, the ark of God that carried them through the storms of life, how much more can the same God do with us? I mean, the same God that told Abram to walk outside of his tent and look up at the stars and said, I'm going to give you as many descendants as the stars in the sky. But him and his wife were barren and he tried to rush the process. And Hagar had Ishmael and ruined their lives because they weren't waiting on the outcome of God. But the same God that said, you'll have as many descendants, gave him a son in Isaac. And then he asked Isaac, for sacrifice. And because he knew that obedience was his response, he was willing to lay him down and God provided a sacrifice. And it's the first place in all of the word of God that we see Jehovah Jireh, my God provider. 
the same God that provided for him is the same God of how we run the race. Genesis 15, verse 5 says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness, showing us that as long as we are obedient, he will provide for our every need according to what? His riches. You may think you've sacrificed on the altar, but it's obedience that leads to the greater provision because the same God that wrestled with Jacob, the deceiver, was the same God that changed his name to Israel. He's the same God that put a baby in a basket and turned him into a prophet and planted him in Pharaoh's palace that spoke to him in the isolated vagabond of the backside of a desert because it took him 40 years to unlearn Egypt. The same God that called him when he didn't see his own ability, the one that was hiding from his calling, the same God said, go back and tell Pharaoh and all the people that I'm getting ready to be the I am in their life. I'm going to set them free. I see that the same God that parted the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army is an illustration of baptism from slavery to salvation. That the same God that provided manna, that provided shade, that provided fire is the same God that we serve today. The same God that turned the walls of Jericho into a stairway into the promised land. The same God that took a shepherd boy with five stones and defeated a giant with a sword and a spear. This boy understood that the same God that had done will always be able to do. God had to send a boy from the pasture to the battle line because the so-called men were not faithful to the call on their life. Now listen to me. This is for free. doesn't have much to do with what I'm preaching, but it's still good. Because the so-called men were too scared to take a step of faith, I've seen that every time men didn't walk in their anointing, the women and children wandered in their identity. But God has always had a habit of raising up a few that matter He's, he took Rahab, he took Deborah to, to the prophets, he took politicians that serve God and pastors today whose hearts are always willing to be faithful to his word. Listen to me, there may be a lot of weird things that are happening, a lot of crazy people out there, but like the great theologian said, people be crazy. There's still 7,000 that have not bowed their knee. There's still a remnant of people that love Jesus and want to see him famous on the earth. The same God that sent fire down on the altar of Mount Carmel. The same God that multiplied the widow's oil. The same God that delivered the Hebrew boys from the fire of Nebuchadnezzar. Let the enemy know how that he can turn up the heat, but he can't burn the soul. What he meant to punish, the Lord used as purification. The same God that caused Daniel to rest in the lion's den is the same God that led them out of Babylonian captivity, rebuilt the temple, restored the altars, and reestablished the wall. The same God that told a young virgin woman who could give birth to a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which we're about to celebrate God with us. The same God that did all of that is the same God that we get to run the race for. The same God who called the uncallable, who raised the unraisable, who performed the unimaginable, who healed the unclean, who died for the whosoever wills, that opened up blinded eyes, opened deaf ears, cast out the demons, who spoke to a man dead three days, Lazarus, come out. The same God that cleansed humanity by his own blood. Jesus, who dealt with the sin of humanity in three days, who come out of a Roman sealed and guarded tomb, revealed himself to hundreds of people in 40 days. The same God that promised to send his spirit to walk with us every day. And we'll see him.
return in his glory. If the same God, Paul said it in Romans 8, if the same God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also live to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if we believe in the same God, then we should be doing the same things, running our race. Can I tell you? That when we run our race, we run it with perseverance. This is not an uncommon theme through the New Testament. Let's not grow weary in well-doing, for if we will reap a harvest, if we faint not. God is not a man that he would lie. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Do you think that God is going to be a punisher of those who, who sow in faithful seed? God is not a man that he would trick us. It says that he goes to prepare a place for us. If it were not so, he would have told us. But it doesn't mean that this life will not be challenging or it may not be difficult. But you run nevertheless. Can you imagine the lives that are tied to your yes? Pastor, I think of just several weeks ago, one of the the teenagers that were in, in a group years and years ago with us called and he's on the other line he said hey i'm preaching on the power of the holy spirit in our church on sunday and i just felt god told me i'm supposed to call and you're supposed to pray for me i was like okay i don't know how you're supposed to get into that i was like well let's pray lord jesus i just went to praying and he's agreeing and he's amening and all that and he get and we we get done in jesus name right because no matter how long or short you pray as long as it's in jesus name you get through right and I'm praying with, and, and he starts weeping about this time whenever he was so hard-headed as a teenager, and I didn't give up on him. I was like, man, I, teenagers are teenagers. I don't even remember that. But where he's at leading today doesn't happen without a yes. It doesn't happen without a yes from them. It doesn't happen without a yes from us. And it definitely doesn't happen without the example of obedience that Jesus showed us all the way that the joy set before him endured the cross. See, we all want power, but not a lot of us are willing to walk through the suffering. But you don't have a resurrection without death. So if you want to give Jesus your yes, then that's when you run with confidence. See, this last season has challenged me in unique ways. When April and I came to Celebration Church, we basically were a glorified youth group. The church was an up-and-coming, fastest-growing church in the district. Pastor had a moral failure with the youth pastor's wife. The interim is just, it was, it was bad. Most churches don't survive it. There were other people that interviewed for the process, had their master's in divinity, and I hated school when it was for free. So it was, I still went to Bible college. I'm just saying, it, like, these people that had more degrees in a thermometer, I'm not him. And so there were people way more qualified, way more seasoned. But when God makes a way, he makes a way. And we went into this situation, and it was some of the most challenging. Some of the most challenging. Like we were a church of everyone was so young. I remember one lady that sat behind me. And the few older people that we had, the few, the few groups of older people that we have were not the most supportive group. This one lady came up to me. We've been there for maybe half a year. And look, we're walking through the middle of chaos. Every insecurity I never knew I had was trying to rear its ugly head. My wife was walking through an emotional turmoil, and I'm trying my best to swim above water and not let anybody see me shredding. 
She comes to me after the service and she says, Pastor, the Lord wants me to tell you something. I'm like, oh, thank God. I told him I need to hear Jesus for a minute. He wants me to tell you, get ready, everybody's leaving. What are you supposed to say to that? Oh, I've been looking for that word all day long. Oh, what a saint to God with the gift of encouragement. I mean, what am I supposed to? I wish I had a B3 Hammond right now. I get a hanky and somebody shout me. And you know, it's not. What am I supposed to say to that? Well, then like three weeks later, we have this, this service and, and preach a message. And I mean, people are just moved. It, and it was like this lid lifting opportunity because God gives those. And the same lady came to me and says, Pastor, God wanted me to tell you, get ready. He's about to blow the roof off this place. I was like, no, woman. You don't get to tear me apart three weeks apart then try and give me hope. You are emotional, not spiritual. You are emotionally led and not spiritually led because where I was struggling three weeks ago, you were a voice of death to me. That ain't the voice of God. And just because we had a good day that you felt good about, he didn't appoint you as the so-saying voice to come and, and build me up. Because I don't know if you know this or not, God's not confused on his throne. He's not telling me it's about to die one day and telling me it's about to live another. Because God's church is alive and well. I don't have to get a word from, from some lady because he said my church will prevail and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So I'm in this situation walking. These We got all these young people. Well, it's like when an older family came in, when an older couple came into the church, we were like most churches are when young families come in. We're like walking past all these young people like, hey, Pastor. I'm like, hey, hey, oh, I got to talk to somebody. Like, hey, we love you. Like, you don't even know me. We need you. We need you. The Bible says the older teach the younger. We ain't got none. And we would love on them and we would, we would pull. And now our church is, is, is so diverse and we feel very fortunate and very blessed. And, and God has smiled on us, and it is an incredible, incredible thing. But it's through these seasons, whenever I look now and things that we've walked through, God sent us a man named Manuel Skinner. Brother Robert Manuel Skinner was 94 years old when he went to be with Jesus. I led an 87-year-old man, my neighbor, Austin Bees. I led him to Jesus at 87 years old. He was like, I felt like my, for such a time as this. I lived on family land that, that he, he was a guy who grew up in a legalistic apostolic church that everybody, you wasn't, nobody was going to heaven, right? Everybody, if you couldn't, you couldn't suck in and squeeze in sideways. Why does it get past destruction? There was a way to righteousness. No one finds it, not even you, not me, like that kind of thing. That's the kind of church he grew up in. So he's like, if people mean like that, I don't need it. At 87 years old, I got to lead him to Jesus, one of the greatest moments of my life. And then his daughter's uh, father-in-law moves in down the way. He comes and transfers his membership to our church. He comes from old school church. I'd walk in the back of the sanctuary. Worship would be started. And he would start on his cane and he'd sit down. And sometimes I'd see him, he'd have that hand lifted. And Brother Skinner had a, a dignified voice. Brother Johnny. Brother Johnny, I just want you to know the word was anointed by the Holy Ghost today. Thank you, Brother Skinner. Did his funeral. You know, the crazy thing for me at 43 is I started this race at 19. The call of God and ministry came shortly after at May of 99. You know, in the beginning, I just knew I'd started. And then in the middle, I'm just running. I spend so much time running 
I spend so much time saying yes that I forget why I'm running. Why do we start and why do we run? To finish. To finish. We run to finish. Several weeks ago, our daughter's best friend's mother passed away of cancer. It was one of the most awesome, challenging moments of my life. I didn't understand it. This woman was a saint of God. And I know all the Christianese. I know all the biblically right things to say. You can go to hell healthy and you can go to heaven with cancer. I understand all of that. But I'm not saying it didn't hurt. And, and I learned in this season of the race that the, the unique thing about the believer's soul is this, is that the, the waves of grief and pain can crash on the same shore as hope. It's the unique ability of the believer that you still hurt, but you still hope. It's the unique ability in this race called life that we push through. But it got me thinking about the finish line. It got me thinking about it. And it got me thinking about the opportunity to come here and to share and to preach and, and share about the goodness of God on the, on the favor of God on your pastors and their yes. And, and, and we got to be with your wonderful board and staff last night and, the, and just the simple yeses. And they may not even understand the role and impact they're going to have for years to come way past their ability and limited view that they may see now. But they're very simple, yes. And your simple yes in this season of this church is going to magnify the Lord's name, is going to do great things because you were simply obedient and you pushed through some challenging times. This generation or this, this level of pastors in the, in, the, in, this, in the world today have done something that no other generation has done. Pastored through a pandemic with live stream internet. And everybody got opinionated. Well, I think we should do this. Oh, I'm sorry. How about I'm just supposed to run my race and stay faithful? How about that one? And it and challenging, but but doing Christy Chastain's funeral got me thinking about the finish line. Because whenever I was 19 years old, I didn't ever think about death ever. Now that I'm in my 40s, I think about it. I think about finishing. What really is the power of the finish? Is it the way, the speed that I run, or is it the fact that I don't quit? The one thing that I love about the beauty of the race that God has called us to is none of us are in competition with each other. Whenever I first got saved, I would share my testimony, and, and you know your pastor would give you an opportunity. I was thinking about uh, Brother Max this morning when he they celebrate Veterans Day, and he says, Max, come on down and share, because, you know, Pastor Ron is, is very incredible at that, like putting you on the spot with a microphone. I went and told him I was called to preach. He said, oh, praise God. He did the little hand raise thing he does, and he stomped around a little bit, and he said, you're preaching in the nursing home next week. I was like, uh. So I went to the back of the Bible and looked up the word elder. Didn't realize that it wasn't just for older people. I got in there and told him, I said, somebody done put y'all in the closet like a pair of shoes and forgot about you. You know, and he's like, ooh, that's kind of tough. I was like, but you're still valuable to God. He's like, well, I can go with that. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those, in the start and the opportunity and, and the position and, the, and, the, and the, the, I didn't know. I didn't know all that was going to entail. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. We left, and everything's been an adventure. 
everything's been so great. And yes, there's been some challenges. There's been some times where I know the enemy came to destroy us on assignment, demonic strategies, and I know all of that. But I was never in competition with anyone else because I'm staying in my lane and running my race. Stay in my lane and run in my race. What has God called me to do? He's not called me to be Pastor Ron. He's called me to be Johnny. He's not calling me to be the mega church pastor that's a friend of mine. He's calling me to be me. And if God allows us to do that, it's because I was faithful in the race and the lane he called me to. And I'm not in competition with anyone, and neither are you. What we are supposed to do is persevere and finish the race. We have this cloud of witnesses that is that is cheering us on. I love what Paul says in Acts chapter 20. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And this phrase is what many people miss and why Paul can finish the race. It's to testify, to bear witness, to affirm as a fact or truth, to attest. And he knew that this race had setback, obstacles, opposition, persecution, and pain. But the reason Paul could finish God's race in his life was simply because Paul wasn't running for himself. Chrissy, would you come begin to play something as we close? See, we have to get to that place where we consider our life worth nothing. And his testimony is worth everything. If we will slack on what God had us begin, it could be because we consider something more valuable than running the race that God's called us to. Paul said, I consider my life nothing. I've sat with people that will say things like, man, if I gave everything to Jesus, he could do a lot with me. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, you're a big deal. I get it. God needs you, huh? I say things like this. I say, God doesn't need you. God's not desperate for a voice. You want, you want positions your platform can't handle. You think you're the last throat God made? He'll knock you off the stage, save a drunk, and bring them in off the street and anoint them to sing for him. Think God's desperate for talent? God's not desperate for talent. He's looking for character. The American church has done a great job of positioning talent. Look where it makes us, on the news, covering up things that the Lord has to uncover instead of uncovering things so the Lord can cover it. Investigations and mockery and parents don't know who to trust and how to trust. Do you know how it happens? Not running with perseverance and muddying up the race. So I'm thinking about the finish line. Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing. And I, I was sitting with this one individual, and, man, he could sing like a house of fire. He was, he was a natural-born leader. He walked into Walmart, and 50 people want to hang out with him. Like, I walked to a football stadium. I think everybody hates me. He walked to a football stadium and thought everybody paid a mission to just say hey to him. God had woke me up in the middle of the night in a dream and showed me that he was being unfaithful to his wife. Now, I'm not that guy that thinks... Oh, you know, I mean, I, I, people don't get nervous around me because God's given me. But this was a unique time. Like with Sister Moran, I always repent of anything that could be there. That I don't even know. <laughs> because I feel like she sees to the death. I feel like the Lord has anointed her to be like, so I was thinking about it, like, 
okay, I did want to punch that person that cut me off in traffic. I really did. And I was, I thought God had anointed me to do it, but I, I'm sorry. Now, you know, that's not how we act. I know, I'm terrible. So she may have that gift where God just speaks to her really clearly. I, God hasn't given me a dream about it. I take him to lunch, and I don't know how else to start. And I'm like, man, how do you think the Cowboys are going to do? The Cowboys are my go-to, and I don't even like the Cowboys. He's like, eh. and I said, man, you haven't been in church. You haven't. He's like, well, well, Pastor. So I was always, I was always PJ, but whenever it got real, he's like, well, Pastor. Uh, since we quit coming to church, our marriage is doing better. Oh, that's crazy. I, I said, probably so. Because you're walking the same direction as the enemy. Now, my wife has told me I have to smile when I say things like that now. So I smile a lot in my church when I say hard things. You know, I'll say something like that, and I'm like, but I'm smiling. And he's like, well, uh, and I said, look, God gave me a dream, and you're running around on your wife. Oh, well, I think that's a warning. Two weeks later, he was caught on a roller coaster at Magic Springs in Hot Springs, Arkansas with another woman. He had been cheating on his wife, and God loved him enough to give him grace and privacy before the enemy humiliated him publicly. Let me tell you what he was doing. He would rather look good than be good. He would rather look like an athlete than be a finisher. He would rather look the part than be the part. What is it? When somebody says, April shared this last night in the media, she when people say, I gave up everything to follow Jesus, I think they're crazy. I didn't give up any. I, what did I give up? Brokenness? Dysfunction? Addiction? I gave up nothing and received everything. Received everything. Now, I think for us at times, we consider our comfort, our net worth, our, the opinions of other people, our personal hopes and dreams without having gratitude to say, my life is nothing. So how do we finish the race God's called us to run? When you run for God, you take the next step. You may limp at times. You may run at others. I shared a story here years ago. When I first got saved in the church in Rayville, Louisiana, Pastor Ron and a youth pastor would go running in the mornings, and they invited me to go running with them a mile. Now, it's a crazy experience for me because I didn't run much, but, I mean, I was thinner then. I was like, I'll go run with y'all. You're just doing a mile. We get there. They start stretching. I'm like, what are y'all doing? They're like, we're stretching. We're running a mile. I was like, we're just running a mile, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's go. Well, I take off running. They're like, slow down, Johnny. You're going to get to. And I was like, oh, this is how I run. I sucked them up. Lapped them. Slow down. This is how I run. About halfway around that next lap, there was a gorilla that no one else could see under the bleachers on the visitor section that jumped out and climbed on my back. And I went from a sprint to that ugly jog that's faster to walk. That I mean, I didn't really realize that the world record was three minutes and 57 seconds. In the mile, I thought I was going to do that thing in four and a half minutes. They passed me up. And the encouraging voice I heard still haunts me to this day. 
just how I run, Pastor, just how I run. As they passed me up and graciously waited on me to finish. I sweated bacon grease. I coughed up all kinds of nastiness from my body. But you know what I did? I finished. And they can never pick on me for not finishing. They can pick on me for running dumb, but they can't pick on me for not finishing. So what am I saying today? You don't have to finish today. What you do have to do is take the next step. Say the next yes. When you commit, you don't give up. Say another prayer. Make another talk. Give another, give another gift. Send another email to someone. Run another mile. Memorize another verse. Teach another lesson. Ask for another meeting. Take, talk to your child again. Pray for your child again. Forgive them again. Dream the dream. Because when you commit, you don't stop. Take another step. But what happens when you just can't go on? It's okay. Because there's one that comes and embraces you and carries you through. In the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, there was a British runner named Derek Redmond. The 400-meter race popped his hamstring. Didn't look like he'd finished. His father came out of the stands, carried his son, because you never have to run along. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of all this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for His mercy. I'm thankful for His grace. When I am limping, he is, the, he is the strength that carries me through. When I'm running, He is the wind in my lungs. When I am crawling, He is more than enough to bring me to where he's trying to get me to. Why do people quit? I can tell you why they quit. Because it's an option. So as we stand today, if you're able, here's what I want us to do if we stand together. I want us to proclaim this today over this church, over our lives as individuals. That in our faith, in our marriages, in our ministries, in our goals, and in the Lord Jesus we serve, that we proclaim that our yes to Jesus has the power to change the world we live in. That we understand we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are screaming to us, run and don't quit. And let's commit to ourselves that we will finish the race. I'm going to finish the race. Look, you may see me struggle, but you'll never see me quit. Because when we commit, we don't quit. Because we are finishers. And finishers is who God has called us to be. We can't quit because we didn't save us. We didn't call us. He did. And He is faithful. Every head bowed. Every eye closed.